Colossians chapter 3 with me. Colossians chapter 3, we began last Sunday a year to grow in putting on the new man. The new man. And we picked up our reading, if you will, in verse... Let's go to verse 9 and we'll read to verse 17. Colossians 3 verse 9, Therefore or do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and after the image of its creator. Here there is neither, there's not Greek nor Jew. Remember we talked about not here. Not here, Greek or Jew. Not here, circumcised or uncircumcised. Not here, barbarian or Scythian. Not here, slave or free. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him we talked last week about our position that now we are in Christ verse 11 that we are in Christ and we are pursuing this issue of putting off and putting on that we are maturing in the Lord if you look back at chapter 1 verse 28 Paul says him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that he might present everyone mature in Christ this is the issue of maturity in our faith we learn to walk like him. Chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is with you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in prayers that you might stand mature and fully assured in, all wisdom, in the will of God. There it is. That's our desire. Paul says the same thing in most of his letters. You find it in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And then we find a partnership, as I mentioned in verse 11, where we're no longer different, we're the same, we're of the body of Christ. And now we come to verse 12, that we're to put on compassionate hearts. We are new creatures in Christ, pursuing Christ-likeness. Alongside my brothers and sisters, we, we fight to put off, to put to death this old self and put on the new self. As those have been chosen by God to be holy and beloved, we put on these five graces that he mentions here. As he has mentioned earlier about five vices that we are to put off, we're to be clothed in. We mentioned last week about the compassionate hearts it is a heart that shows pity, a heart that shows sympathy of compassion. Just have to have a deep level of feeling of compassion towards people. It's the opposite of indifference. When you see our brothers and sisters in Zimbabwe, you see them struggling, it ought to 
cry at your heart that you want to you want to help but not just there everywhere to care about those that suffer those that suffer hunger and cold and clothing those that are vulnerable yes. both even emotionally involved people i ask you do you care do you help Kindness, goodness, excellence, serviceable, grace in action. It is sweetness of disposition. It is God's act of kindness towards sinners that we find in Galatians 5. It's the kindness that is expressed of a compassionate heart. Next we talk about humility, this inward virtue. A quality of voluntary submission of of unselfishness. To see ourselves as the object of divine grace is a lowliness of mind. It's, it's, a, it's to have no right to assert yourself. It is to manifest the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2. Paul goes on to give us another one. Meekness. Gentleness. Mildness. I said meekness is not weakness, but self under control. Harry told me a story about Alexander the Great's horse was the Greek name for this word, and Alexander was the only one that could ride this horse. He was that wild. And where are my horse people? Okay, they'll stomp you. They they they've got that ability to stomp you. I had one. And um, Melody will give you truth about riding one. And I told her to smack it on the rear end. And, hmm, yeah, I had to apologize going to a, uh, a family gathering at church because she looked like she'd been hit by a bus and um, black eyes. She looked like a raccoon. And I just go up to people and say, I didn't do it. <laughs> and they say, what are you talking about? You, you will understand. You just, just keep that in mind. And, of course, then she comes driving up, and it looks like I beat her with a stick and, but we had a sheriff's department guy that was there and bought it mail and goes, if you need to tell me something, you just tell me something. Just whisper it and I'll take care of him. But horses are like that. You know, you 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 all all of us have the power in our words to crush somebody. Yes. Yes. To belittle somebody, to make them feel stupid. Meekness doesn't do that. It's a willingness to suffer injury instead of afflicting it. It is, it is the remembrance that he is a sinner among sinners. It's the willingness to suffer the burdens of others, of the sins that are imposed upon him. But we find in Galatians 5, it's this, this, this meekness, this, this, this area of, of this word is, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's only produced by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 6 talks about this behavior of us restoring a sinning brother. It's that kind of, it's that kind of life of meekness. We'll begin today, we're going to pick up the rest of them. We'll get to forgiveness here in just a moment, but we need to finish this. Meekness and then Patience. That's the opposite of resentment or revenge. It's long-suffering. It's waiting a long time to express anger. Now, sometimes we need to be angry with sin. Sin will make you angry. Made the Lord Jesus angry, right? 
It's fine to be angry at sin, but sometimes you may not know all the situation. I have known fathers who have given instructions to their children, I want you to do this, this, and this today, and when I get home, these are to be done. And when he gets home, they're not done. And instead of asking why, he starts ripping heads off and spitting down necks. Finally, one of the kids looks at him and goes, we've been at the hospital all day because Junior broke his arm. He who answers a matter before he hears it is a folly and a shame unto him. Sometimes we just, this is what this is. This is his patience. It's it's long-suffering. It's not responding in anger. It's not quick tempered. It's wrath that is far away. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Again, a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Look at verse 19. Let me start with the works of the flesh or evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. There's the opposite. Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envying, drunkenness, orgies, these things, like these I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who touch such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Alright, I'm going to ask a dangerous question. Anybody else hot in here? Hallelujah. I like you. (laughs) And those of you that just might as well get your blanket out. Because we're going to crank her down. And I'll I'll try, when I start seeing the icicles forming on your nose, I'll stop. Alright? Where did I tell you your turn? 2 Corinthians 6. Right, 2 Corinthians 6. Beginning in verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments and riots, labors and sleepless nights and hunger, by impurity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we treat our impostors as yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and beholding we live, as punished and yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making rich and having nothing yet possessing everything. That's it. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it may have been wrong. But we endure. We endure. Back to our text. That patience, and now verse 13, bearing with one another... 
And if one hasn't complained against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. We need to take the text apart first. In this text, there, is, there are two complaints. If you'll notice, look at verse 13. There is a command of bearing with one another and then a forgiving of each other. See those two? They're separate. The first one is the bearing one another is, a, is is issue of complaint. It's one believer blames another believer that a debt is owed. It's some obligation, something owed to me. It's 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 a failure, an unknowingly willful, could be unknowingly willfully. There is a fault that's owed to me. God gives responsibility of this resolution, if that's happened, to the person who's been offended. Notice, bearing with one another, which means if there's someone that you think owes you a debt, you have a responsibility to go to that person. Bearing and forgiving. you got to Scripture for that, Pastor? I do, so glad you asked. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. And it also goes the other direction. Bearing with one another, if somebody owes you a debt, you feel like somebody owes you a debt, you are commanded, bearing one another, go to that person, make it right. But what if you understand that you did do something? You did offend. You did do something wrong. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, he... He discusses this for us. In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember what? That your brother has something against who? You. Hmm. I may have offended. What am I supposed to do? Leave your gift there at the altar. And first be reconciled to your brother, then come make your offering in your gift. What am I saying in our text? Our text is, it doesn't make any difference which side of the issue you fall on. The one offended, or the one that who's offended, you both have responsibility to go to each other to make it right. In fact, I would put it this way, where should we meet? Halfway between your two houses. If you're both doing this, you ought to meet halfway. One ought to be coming to meet the other. But this is not in my text, but where was the father when the son came home? We call him the prodigal son. That's not what that text is about, but when the prodigal son came home, where was the father? He was looking for him. Yes. And what did he do when he saw him? He ran towards him. Okay, so we got somebody's got a p- complaint against somebody. We got somebody that that complaint's against. What are we supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be forbearing, enduring, putting up with. You're not annoyed or irritated by their sin that bothers you. 
forbearing. Just enduring it. There are times to do that. There are some things against us that aren't sin issues. They're just personality things. How many of you had to live in a dorm in college? Okay, yeah, you're already, you know what it is. I'll ask another one. How many of you are married? Okay. How many arguments have started over squeezing the toothpaste in the middle instead of the end? Or does the toilet paper is supposed to come off the top or off the bottom? Those little things, okay? But even in families, I've got this later on in my text, and I'll skip over it when I get to it, but Melody and I laugh at each other all the time, and she'll say, it's a good thing you ain't married to my sister. I'm glad I'm not married to your sister, too. <laughs> but I'd say a thing about her, my brother. You know, even in a family, you go, I'm glad I married that one and not that one, Okay. And you look around and you go, I'm glad I'm not married to that, but i got news for you. They're probably looking at you saying, I'm glad I didn't marry you either. Okay? There'll be differences. There'll be likes and there'll be dislikes. You know, you've been taught your whole life, you're a nice person. That's what your mother's told you. It's not True. True. There are people out there that can't stand you. It's not sin. You're just different. Your lifestyle's different. You got a generous spirit and above stuff. You're you're excited. It's but what does it say? Bearing with one another. Each person in that Annoyance is to be forgiven. I'm going to turn this one off. Do I still have this on? Good, I'm going to kill that one. All of us are going to irritate some of us at some time. And they're going to irritate you and you're going to irritate them. It's a give and take, isn't it? Even here. My mother used to say, you don't have to like me. you got to love me. That's right. You may be happy. I'm glad I'm not married to him. That's great. But we bear with one another. I would dare say more churches have split over that issue than unforgiveness. People just can't get along with somebody that's not like them. But then he goes a little deeper, doesn't he? He says, not only bearing with one another and having a complaint against another, but forgiving each other. Notice the difference between one another and each other. It's different. As the Lord has forgiven you. It's a display. This, this is a genuine indebtedness. This is admitting that this person has been wrong and something is owed to them. But what's their attitude? I dismiss it. That's what it means. Forgiving each other. It could be something that he told me he was going to do something and I, I planned on it and I, I changed my life and they he didn't come through. And he's offended. 
Or somebody said something against you and hurt your good name. It's possible. But we're to bear with one another, tolerate a person, willing to, to suspend a rightful demand out of consideration for the plight of weakness of a fallen brother. But the climax here of forgiving each other is a gracious removal of sin and the gracious treatment of a sinner who is unworthy to receive it. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is the gracious removal of sin and the gracious treatment of the sinner who is unworthy to receive it. Because what's his illustration in the text? It's not me or you, it's as the Lord has forgiven you. What's He forgiven you of? Everything. All of your sins. Past, present, future. How dare we? How dare we do something that God Himself doesn't do? I got a lesson at Bob Jones. There's a dean of the school of science, educate, I think science. Dr. Salter. Yeah, he went from around here. He was a German officer in World War II captured by the French and came to the United States and to get his citizenship had to go fight in the Korean War for the United States. But the Lord saved him when he came here. Got his doctorate degree and something. Became the dean of the School of, Ed of Science at Bob Jones University. He was a no-nonsense guy. He was, still, he was still a Nazi at art. He taught a first class for incoming freshmen on how not to waste time. And he would show you hours in a day you waste. You didn't want to come to him saying, I just ain't got time to get it done. He would show you hours. He would teach you how to redeem the time. Yes. Put your Greek words on these little cards yes. and stand in line and flip them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So redeeming the time. He would teach you all that. Well, the time I was seeing Melody's friend and I found out that she had a checkered past. I didn't know what to do about it. It grieved me. It, I, and I don't know why I saw Dr. Salter. I think he was the only one that was available. And I came in and told him, I said, this girl's checkered past. And I remember him lowered his glasses down and he said, let me ask you something, Eric. Has the Lord forgiven her? I said, yes, sir. Who are you to hold that against her if the God of the universe has forgiven us? I didn't have to open the door to God's office. I went underneath the door, slid out. But that's what forgiveness is. The gracious removal of sin and the gracious treatment of a sinner who is unworthy to receive it because I am that person. This one another here, this interpersonal relationship within the family of God. 
That's its scope. It's, it's anyone with inside the family of God. It's need. If anyone has a complaint, a quarrel, or a blame, something that's blameworthy, something that, that has caused a matter of complaint, we all have them. That's the scope. That's its need. It's standard even as Christ has forgiven you. So, do ye, the way the Greek reads, this is dealing with vertical forgiveness that affects horizontal forgiveness. If Christ has forgiven, forgiven believers so much, then they should forgive each other so little. And His forgiveness is for time and eternity. Ours just time. So what is biblical forgiveness? Is it simply saying, I'm sorry? Do I have to forgive? What if the person doesn't ask me for forgiveness? Well, none of that's in that text. There's no qualifying statements in the text. It doesn't say, so you must forgive as long as they meet these requirements. It doesn't say that. It simply says you must forgive. Yes. What does unforgiveness do? It imprisons the person in the past. Let me tell you something. It imprisons the person most of the time who is offended. That's what it did with me. I was held in the jail of unforgiveness for 10 years. And that pain, I kept feeding it. I kept talking about it. My wife looked at me one day and said, Would you shut up? That's in the Greek somewhere in her Bible. <laughs> Get over it. It ain't that simple, is it? It's not waving a wand. But in the text it is. You must forgive. And unforgiveness not only imprisons the person in the past, it keeps us from healing. It's like the sore that we keep picking at and then it keeps bleeding. Quit picking at it. You're choosing to love hate. Yes. That's what you're choosing. Hate is dominating and it produces bitterness. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Bob read this for us, I think. Yep. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only which is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, of whom you are sealed from the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and rang, anger, let, let all bitterness, wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Tuck it away. How? By being kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Here it is again, as God in Christ forgave who? Yes. 
you. Bitterness, anger, resentment, hurt, unforgiveness produces bitterness. becomes infected. It distorts the view of life. You lost a hundred. Keep telling it, it's a thousand. Well, if I'd have had a hundred, by this time, it would have been a thousand. See what we do? So we just keep picking at it. We keep making it bigger. But here's one. It distorts the sovereignty of God. Because you end up blaming God for it. God, if you were sovereign, you could have stopped that. And his answer is, I am sovereign, and I didn't stop it. Distorts not only the sovereignty of God, but the tenderness of God. Unforgiveness produces revenge. We want our pound of flesh. We want the person to hurt like I've hurt. It brings on slander, doesn't it? We don't, we don't talk in loving terms anymore about that person. Boy, it grows to unseen proportions. What does forgiveness do? It frees a person to enjoy all the relationships and to live at peace and tranquility of heart. As I mentioned, I've studied forgiveness probably third most of any single word in the Bible. And most of that was defined in exception. Don't waste your time. There are no exceptions. In the Bible there are no less than 75 word pictures of forgiveness. How forgiveness is pictured in the Scripture. I'm not going to give you all 75, but here are a few. To forgive is to turn the key to open the cell door to let the prisoner free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare the person not guilty. Now, how hard that is? To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far it could never be retrieved. To forgive is to take the garbage and dispose of it, leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loose the anchor and set the ship free to sail. To forgive is to grant full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen a strong stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast the wall of graffiti, leaving it brand new. 
To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it can never be put together again. These and more are pictures of forgiveness. Forgiveness, this writer says, is marvelous and virtuous and liberating and a loving act. It makes sense to forgive. It's healthy. It's wholesome. It's sensible. It's freeing. It brings peace. Brings enduring, engendering love. Proverbs 19, a man foolish is the one who does not forgive. It is folly to him. Well, let's talk just a few minutes. I've got just a few minutes left. I'm not anywhere close to 28 pages. So. Let me give you what forgiveness looks like. You want to write some of these down. These are four things I want to give you about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What, what, is it, what does it look like? What does it do? Listen, when we forgive, listen, when we forgive, we are most godlike in that act as a Christian. You're most acting like God when you forgive. Forgiveness is verbally declared, personally given promise, a statement of undeserved, unearned love that affirms that though I have been offended, there is no anger, no desire for vengeance, no bitterness, no retaliation. That's what forgiveness is. There's no guilt, no blame held. As I said with my friend Mike, we don't talk about it because it never happened. God's like this, isn't He? Yes. Go with me to a few texts, starting in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Some of these we'll look at. The other ones I'll just give you. Exodus 34. Look at verses... Five and six. You know, Moses is getting the two stones, getting ready in the morning, go up to the mountain, verse five. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, here it is, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the children's children's to the third and fourth generation. That's God. But we most act like Him when we forgiving iniquities and, and transgressions and sins. By the way, let me tell you something. If someone murdered your spouse and you forgave them, that doesn't let them out of prison. That's right. There's consequences. It doesn't have anything to do with consequences. And sometimes we think it is. We think, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Clears all the responses, especially kids, don't we? Right? Okay. If I say, if I say I'm sorry fast enough, I won't get the spanking. No, you're going to get spanking too because there's a difference between punishment that comes with disobedience and I'll take, I'll take it. Yes, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm sorry that I have to do this but there's a punishment that comes with 
By the way, prisons, we've gotten off. Prisons are not for reforming. That's good if you can reform. It's not what prisons are for. They're for punishment. You're to punish you. You break the law, this is what happens. And so God's saying here, yes, I am this, but that doesn't mean there's not those out there accountable. Psalm 32, very quickly. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There it is. Blessed is the man, verse 2, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Keep turning in Psalm 85. This will be the last one that I'll give you. I'll give you a couple of these. You can write them down. Psalm 85. Beginning in verse 1. Lord, you are more favorable to your land. You restore the fortunes of Jacob. You forgive the iniquity of your people. You cover all their sins. Selah. Think about that. There's one in one, uh, Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 55, Jeremiah 33, Jeremiah 31. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. I told you we get the New Testament. I told you we talk about this story about the man who had two sons. If you have never listened to MacArthur's series on the man who had two sons. I encourage you to do that. It's a three-part series. Probably one of the greatest I've ever heard on what we call the prodigal son, but it's not. It's a man who had two sons. It's the story. All I do is call your attention to verse 22. And again, if you got the backdrop of what actually transpired, Dad, I want you dead. I want my stuff now. And he went and wasted it all with the worst type of living, riotous living, it says. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Notice up in verse 19, he says, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He doesn't say that in verse 22. Why? By the Father's response to him, he knows he's been restored as his son. He's not going to be a slave. His father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You're no more like God than when you forgive. Number two. And this is, a, this is a little harder. And I want you to listen to me. In the Ten Commandments, one of them is, Thou shalt not murder. 
There's a lot more at play in the word murder than just taking someone's life. How do you know that? Because in Matthew chapter 5, go there with me. Matthew chapter 5, you know this to be the Sermon on the Mount. And so much of this text in, Roman, in Matthew 5 is these phrases that happen. You have heard. You have heard that it has been said to you. But I say to you. Remember what the Lord did with, you have heard that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, what did he say? If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Wow. We well, he raised it to a whole new standard. Now who's not guilty? Men. All of us. Guilty. Well, I ain't murdered anybody. Well, hang on. Verse 21, Matthew 5, You have heard that it has been said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, is liable to hellfire. Wow. In each of these cases, he starts out with what is heard. He tells us, let me tell you. Everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, if your King James says, Raka, there is no good English translation for it. Your text may be like mine that says, good for nothing. That is a light translation of that word. They shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into hell. Wow. Jesus is saying, look, if you hate your hate in your heart, you're, you're a murderer in your heart. And you're guilty before God for the murder, though you never actually committed it. So, well, I'm not quite sure I follow you, Pastor. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but he doesn't say there that unforgiveness like this or these words that that's the same as murder. But John does. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, and here we become guilty, don't we? 1 John 3. First John 3, start our reading in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. That sounds familiar. You should be like Cain, who was an evil one and, and murdered. You shall not be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. Murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But know that they have passed out of death into life because the love of the brothers, whoever does not love, abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother, what's it say? It's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You are acting like 
an unredeemed person. Unforgiveness is a hate attitude. It's a representation of hatred. It sweeps away all the self-righteous and unmasked, the murderous attitude. Back in our text in Matthew, don't turn back there, but you fool. Fool is synonymous with godless because the fool has said there is no God. You stupid fool is what you're saying. It's like pronouncing a curse on someone. If you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to forgive, to let loose all hate and all sense of vengeance. You need to release all of the attitude of abuse and derision and contempt and scorn and hatred towards another person. If that person is a Christian, then that person is literally Christ to you. If that person is a Christian, then that person is literally Christ to you. How you treat that person is how you treat Christ. Remember, you came, you gave water unto me. When did we do that? When you did it unto the least of them, you did it unto me. How you treat that person is how you treat Christ. If that person is a non-Christian, he still heirs, has the natural image of God, and you do not good do no good to your relationship to either Christian or non-Christian by the kind of non-forgiving hatred. And you certainly do no good to yourself by your attitude. Death penalty is just for sinners, not just for sinners, it's for haters. You don't mind admiring the image of God in yourself. How proud you are that you cannot see the image of God in someone else. You don't mind recognizing the Christ that's in you. How terrible it is within the family of God that we don't recognize the Christ that's in someone else. You're angry at someone else's sin. Are you equally angry at yours? Are you so proud that you cannot see your own sins but only the sins of others? Hatred towards someone an unwillingness to forgive someone is to hold a murderous attitude in your heart. Any lack of forgiveness is selfishness. And you need to deal with the pride that's in your heart. And this is a serious enough sin that it's enough that if unforgiven, if that sin was alone was your only unforgiven sin, it would be enough to catapult you into hell. Let me close with this. No, no offense against you, no matter what it is, no offense against you is worthy of hatred and unforgiveness. Sometimes people want to debate, well, are you supposed to forgive someone if they don't ask? Yes, you are. Our forgiveness is to be immediate, instantaneously, totally, and completely, whether or not you ever have reconciliation and what that relationship will be in the future is a matter of that person's desiring that relationship to be what it should be. But forgiveness comes immediately.
Now, I got the snot beat out of me for nine years for an unforgiving attitude. It took another six before what I desired ever happened. There's not a person in here that hasn't been offended. And there's not a person in here who hasn't offended. You're commanded to forgive each other immediately. Oh, Lord. We bow before texts like that, and it rips us. We must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. Lord, we harbor unforgiveness. We treat it like a pet. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts as you did in mine. And Lord, it won't take people nine years to bow the knee. In a few minutes, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. Bob's going to open forth the Word. It may be in that 15 minutes that some things may be made right. If you remember someone has ought against you, leave your offering. Go be reconciled to your brother. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Father, thank you for piercing us. Thank you for not leaving us to ourselves. Thank you for transforming us. But it is in these times, Father, that we will mature in you. And we'll find out how much we love you and how much we love our sin. Father, praise you. Praise you for your work of grace. Father, thank you for, in my life, teaching me, for putting a relationship back together, that in my sharing happened between Mike and me, never happened. Thank you, Father, for doing that. Father, I ask you to do that for others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.